Hi, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 162. And before we get into the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart community board. So every week I highlight something interesting, fun, different, cool, happening in health, wellness, fitness. So if you're listening and you have an event coming up, you started a nonprofit, you have a great new app, a new company, a new device, email me um, at klitzy at me.com. That's M as in Mary, E as in Edward.com. And I will feature what cool things you are doing on the podcast. So today, the cool thing that I'm featuring is the Physical Therapy Day of Service. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a day where members of the profession across the world will come together to complete acts of service in their community, maybe in other communities. Um, And that day is October 17th, 2015. So mark your calendars. I will definitely talk about this again in the future. Um, But October 17th, 2015 will be the Physical Therapy Day of Service. You can find out more about this day of service if you're on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash ptdayofservice. And on Twitter, it's at ptdayofservice. So if you're a PT or even if you're not a PT and you maybe you're a PT patient and you want to join your PT in doing something good for your community, uh, mark the calendars for October 17th, 2015. Okay, so today's podcast, I'm super excited Um, I'm going to be interviewing the newly elected president of the American Physical Therapy Association, Sharon Dunn. Sharon is an associate professor and chair of the PT program at LSU HSC in Shreveport, Louisiana, where she teaches musculoskeletal content and professional issues. She has a PhD in cellular biology and anatomy and carries out basic and clinical research which includes topics such as osteoarthritis, coping mechanisms for ACL deficiency. She is board certified in orthopedic physical therapy and directs a post-professional PT residency in orthopedics at LSU. So Sharon Dunn, thank you so much for joining and congratulations on your newly elected post. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm so excited about the potential and the opportunities for the profession. And I'm happy that you've invited me here to speak with you today on your podcast. Yeah, and I'm thrilled to have you. And I think what a lot of, in, in speaking to other people, I was saying, oh, you know, I'm interviewing Sharon Dunn, a little nervous about this. And, and I said, oh, I, and everyone kind of asked the same question, like, how did she get to where she is? So how did you get to the, this post of, of president of the APTA? And so I thought, let's kind of take it back. So let's start... Even before you went to PT school, what was it, what was that spark in you that said, hey, you know, I think I want to be a PT? When did that happen, and then how did you decide on where you were going to go to school? I, um, growing up, I was uh, somewhat of an introvert as a, as a child. I remember being timid and shy, and, and of course everyone was in middle school. But when I got to high school, I found opportunities to interact and, and lead in organizations within the high school. And as, as a senior in high school, this may come as a surprise to people, but I was the head cheerleader. And what? I, 
kind of in that interesting. I can believe that. I can believe that. Uh, but I, I think they elected me as head cheerleader because I knew enough about football to know when to cheer for the offense and when to cheer for the defense. That's really um, funny. But through that leadership experience in uh, high school, I had some skills cultivated towards leadership that were very rudimentary in nature, and I've learned so much about leadership since then uh, through different experiences that I've had through my life. But going to college, I had no idea that the profession of physical therapy even existed. I started in um, undergraduate wanting to be a math teacher. My whole family is in the education business, and I thought math was a skill set of mine. I enjoyed teaching and working and particularly learning with others. So I did two years in undergraduate education, and then my my father was a principal of uh, middle school. So I came home during the Christmas break and substitute taught. After you have 30 hours under your belt, you qualify as a substitute teacher. And after that experience was over, I went back to college and changed my major immediately. <laughs> that was it. It was one one uh, sub uh, experience, and you were gone. Where did you Where did you do your undergraduate studies? At University of uh, Louisiana Monroe. It was in in back back then they called it Northeast Louisiana University. It's a small. Um, college in Monroe, Louisiana, which is in the northeast corner of the state. So I got two hours out of town to go to college. Mm -hmm. And so I changed my major from education to pre-medicine. And at that point, I was thinking, I want to do something in the health sciences and health services, but I don't really know if medicine is it. And I, at that point, I was like, I really don't want to be married to my career because I would like to have family and otherwise and look where I am now essentially married to my career and loving it absolutely but I changed my major from medicine to pharmacy because Northeast had a, an, an exceptional pharmacy program but then I was thinking of a career in pharmacy as being separated from the people I serve by a counter mm-hmm. and I really didn't have any idea about physical therapy until I went to a football game uh, between Northeast and uh, a school in Thibodeau, Louisiana, which was close to the LSU and New Orleans campus that had a PT program. And there I met a student physical therapist who was sitting in front of a TV, breaking down a video of a tennis swing and breaking down every muscle, every movement, and that was her homework assignment, and, and I was naturally intrigued. What are you doing? She said, I'm doing my homework. That doesn't look like homework to me. That looks like fun. So that's where I learned about physical therapy as a career, and I came back and observed with physical therapists there in the community and was hooked from the, from the beginning. I applied to LSU's program in Shreveport, which back then was a bachelor's program, Mm -hmm. got in and began my love affair with the profession. And I think that that has led me along the service journey as anyone who is in love with what you do every day and what you're able to accomplish with your patients one-on-one 
has has everything that it takes to become involved and lead in the organization. And so, so you go, you went to LSU in Shreveport, got your physical therapy degree. And you know, the only thing I have to say, I don't know much about Louisiana or Shreveport for that matter. The only thing I know is what I've seen on True Blood, and I know that that doesn't really happen in real life. <laughs> that that and Duck Dynasty are our claims oh, to fame. Duck and, Dynasty, you know. that's right. I forgot that was in. That's in like Monroe or something, right? It is, is in Monroe. Yeah, and all the long beards like ZZ Top, and yep. they're happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Yep, yep. That's it. They're the only two references I have to um, Louisiana, which is terrible. Um, but uh, so I can, I take it, you went to LSU in Shreveport, you loved it, you graduated, and then once you, you graduated, were you, so let's talk about, you, you go to work, okay? Were you part of the APTA right out of the gate? I was part of the APTA as a student member. Our uh, program chair at the time uh, required us to be a member, even though we were a public institution, and public institutions aren't supposed to require anything of that nature. It was an expectation. And not only were we members, but we were engaged in what was happening on a uh, local and state level, at least. So my very first LPTA, Louisiana Physical Therapy Association meeting, was as a first-year student, and um, they were discussing uh, in a closed meeting physician-owned physical therapy practice, mm. and at that time, um, Charles Magistro had just given his Macmillan lecture, and he talked about the detrimental effects of this as a policy. So, as and if you don't know much about Louisiana, I should tell you, we have a rich culture of diversity in Louisiana. We work hard and we play harder, and people are very passionate about family, work, and fun. So this was a passionate meeting, and uh, there was someone in the meeting who at that time worked for a physician-owned practice there in Baton Rouge, and he had a tape recorder in his pocket. And it clicked, and the principals of the meeting physically escorted him out of the meeting and came back with the tape recorder. So that was my hook. I was like, these people are crazy passionate about what they do and I am in I'm hooked for life yeah they're not screwing around down there in Louisiana nope and and so we we had uh, a lot of uh, passionate discourse and um, debate openly and then go to the bar and celebrate the opportunities and the conversations at the end of the day, no matter what side of the debate you're on, you're all family and friends at the end of the day. And that was the association culture that I was raised in, going back to personalities that became known on the on the national level. Francis Guglielmo uh, was the owner of Baton Rouge Physical Therapy, Jenny Davis, owned Crescent City Physical Therapy there in, in New Orleans, and we had uh, hospital, uh, outpatient, academic physical therapists all involved in leadership and and moving the profession forward. And our direct access uh, pursuit was hot and heavy back then. And, and what, took what year from, was that? That was 1985. Wow. 
And uh, our our president at the time, we at that time we didn't have our own licensure board, and our president was we we were under the board of medical examiners at the time, and we were pursuing not only our own board of physical therapy examiners but also direct access for the profession, mm-hmm. and our president was was made a uh, I guess. A, a scapegoat for the issue and lost his license to practice physical therapy uh, by the medical board because he was doing a a post Friday night football game clinic in his clinic on Saturday mornings to evaluate injuries because at the time we did have evaluation without referral okay and and he was accused of practicing medicine without a license by doing that. So he lost he his license to practice physical therapy was placed on probation for a year. Wait, what? So that was a statement, and, and that generated a lot of excitement about, well, it's time for us to look to proceeding with uh, identifying uh, our own licensure board. So we that came to fruition uh between 87 and 89 and quick. and and it took us until 2003 to get a form of direct access to physical therapy so that that journey and the people you know through through those legislative battles you learn who your greatest strength in battle is the warrior beside you mm-hmm. so the colleagues that you get to know through the years and um, is one of the greatest blessings of service. And so, so through all all this time, so you're talking like 1985, let's say right up through 2003, you're still part of the APTA. And during this time, are you are you continuing to kind of move up through the ranks? And and how did you go from that student sitting first year student at your first LPTA meeting, and then? moving through into more leadership positions into the APTA, like how do you get, so let's say there's a student listening right now and they're like, man, how do you even get into to those positions at the APTA? How did you do it? And, and maybe what is your advice now for, for someone who is interested in, and just maybe getting their feet wet and starting to see what it's like to be part of uh, the leadership roles within the APTA? I think the best advice is to show up. You don't have to know everything to participate. You have to have a willing drive within you to make a difference. And and all it takes is showing up. And as a student, I was I was part of the continuing education committee of the state association. And with that, I learned that I could make recommendations of of whom to bring to our state meeting as speakers. And that I learned that you can influence the outcome of the decision just by showing up and being responsible for what your job is, no matter how small you think it is. To see national speakers come to our state meeting just because I made a suggestion or a recommendation and it would happen was very fulfilling as a student member. And then right out of school, I ran for a state position. I ran for secretary of the Louisiana Physical Therapy Association, and I got trounced. Oh, no. I, I lost that election, 
and I cried all the way home, oh. about a four-hour drive from Baton Rouge to Shreveport. And I, at, during that time, I was uh, not dejected, but um, emboldened to continue to pursue roles within the association where I could make a difference. So stayed engaged. I participated on the State Government Affairs Committee, which was where most of the activity was at that time in pursuing our licensure board and our uh, direct access. And as I continued to learn and just showing up and being a sponge at the wealth of information of the people having the conversations, I learned so much about policy and advocacy and the importance of relationships with state legislators and policymakers that just learning by showing up was was the difference maker. So the next position I ran for was as Shreveport District Chair, which is in Louisiana as a board position. The district chair, each district chair serves on the board. And I won that position and and through serving my local community and serving on LPTA's board of directors gave me a lot more uh, opportunity to learn and contribute. And after serving on the board for three years, the next position I ran for was vice president. And that was that was a big learning experience for me as vice president of the LPTA because the vice president ran the meetings. So I had to learn a little bit about Robert's rules, which in Louisiana, they're held loosely. <laughs> you can tell somebody to sit down, their time is up. You don't have to uh -huh. be quite as polite with the official Robert's rules of order. But as as vice president serving with Paul Hildreth at the time was our president. Learned so much about the APTA through that leadership role at the LPTA. That's where you get to know your APTA board liaison. You, you get filtered information through that relationship that comes from national. And that's where I learned how much the national organization does to support us on local levels. And um, that that was my hook uh, from the very beginning, is knowing that you could just show up and participate and influence the outcome. I, I mean, I think that's that's great advice. Just show up and learn and soak it all in. And, and I also like that you said you can show up and you don't have to know everything. No. That's, I mean, that's, that's crazy to think that. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. The, the beauty of it is bring what you have to offer to contribute because there are other people around the room who have skill sets that you don't have and ultimately sure. the outcome is better when it's a collaborative decision and conversation. Absolutely. I mean, no one has the unique skill sets that you do. So no matter who you are, you can bring something in. Correct. And yeah, our students today, what excites me about our students oh, they're is great. their passion, enthusiasm, their ability to get information. They are so facile with technology mm -hmm. that they have so much to add to what we're doing and what our conversations are. Yeah, I mean, just think, you did all this, let's say 85 to 2003, majority of it was without the benefits of the great technology we have now <laughs> to kind of right. mobilize the base, right? There's no Twitter, there's no Facebook. I mean, I don't know, was there, like, was there email? Like, were you emailing? 
In 85? I don't know. No. 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 It was no. phone calls and snail mail. Yeah, yeah. And and you still got stuff done. It it took a while, but mm -hmm. it, we finally, you know, it took it took us to come into the technology age to get our direct access done, but it also took a mounted effort of communication and face-to-face -face conversations as well and yeah. and learning advocacy that way. One of the one of the things that I learned while I was president of the Louisiana Physical Therapy Association pursuing direct access was to engage the students because at that point I was full time faculty here at LSU and students are are great advocates when when they have someone to take them and show them so I learned and bringing our students to the Capitol in Baton Rouge and showing them that they had knowledge that the legislators want their constituents to bring to them and then taking them on campaign trails, going door to door with push cards and campaign signs creates a loyalty in a legislator that you can't otherwise get without that kind of sweat equity. And on the back end of that experience through the the opportunities to engage students, now I look back at those classes that participated with me on that level, and they're some of the most engaged and uh, uh, excited uh, APTA and Louisiana Physical Therapy Association members that we have because they learned while they were in school that they make a difference. Yeah, and you know, we spoke, Sharon and I spoke a little bit before uh, this podcast, before we started recording, and it brings me back to kind of what we were saying, that that once people are engaged and they're sort of, they get the, you find the hook, and then they see the real value in what that organization and what that leadership can do, and, and I think that falls back not just on the organization, but on the leadership that you gave. Right? Because not everyone can do that. And, and so what do you think? So, you know, you go from president of the Louisiana chapter to president of the APTA. So what sort of, what were the most important leadership skills or leadership um, information that you learned during that time? I, what were your big I, leadership takeaways? I, I think I've, I've learned during, during the journey that... People want to be invited. Um, they're a little tentative to jump in without an invitation. And when you bring someone along and encourage them and show them that they have the skill set and, and the gifts necessary to, to lead and serve, then you can step back and watch them take off in, in their own leadership journey. One of the most fulfilling things that happened to me in June during the election process was to see the student assembly board of directors that I had the opportunity to work with as their liaison in 2008 and nine were all in the house in their own leadership roles. We had two chief delegates from that time as new professionals and two delegates, one who is vice president of the California chapter. Just amazing um, 
satisfaction that I had seeing those who were on the Student Assembly Board of Directors grow up in a matter of five, eight years to become leaders in their own right. And and I think it's 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 being a uh, I like to consider myself a servant leader to show others what their natural gifts are and and to watch them and encourage them as they excel in that and and then to to watch the the development process over time is brings great satisfaction. Oh, absolutely. Um, no question. Yeah. No question. I think that's that's amazing that those student assembly members have sort of stepped into the leadership role within their states after graduation. Because, you know, things happen after graduation, right? It is Graduate, tough. Graduate, you get a job. It, right after graduating, family, yeah. The, yeah, the loans come due, mm-hmm. the family and work obligations become time management stressors, and to stay hooked, uh, and, and we have data that zero to five are critical years after graduation to stay engaged at some level. In fact, we have a, a group a task force right now looking at how do we keep the early career physical therapist and physical therapist assistants engaged in the associations so that we retain their membership from the zero to five mm-hmm. years because that that's where the data is guiding us. So we have the the pilot program on career starter dues that take them gently, if you will, on payment due to APTA in a staged graded amount until year five. Mm-hmm. But we're also looking at other opportunities to engage them. The next conference is a great example. We're targeting new professionals and early career physical therapists as a landing spot for them, the next conference, which is geared to innovation and advances within the field uh, for them to not only attend, but participate in creating that conference. So that's, that's one of the many initiatives that we have to, to, to set the hook, if you will. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think it's, you know, every organization has its challenges. And, and uh, I think that's a great way to try and keep people engaged for those crucial years uh, post-grad. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about being president of the APTA. So you were newly elected. You took over for uh, Paul Rocker. And what were your challenges personally kind of stepping into that role? And was there mentoring before you stepped into the role? Well, the, the election process is such that as, as an opposed candidate for the position, going into the election process, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, certainly. So you, mentally... I prepared for either outcome. If if I was not elected, that would be okay because uh, I'm still in love with the profession. I have opportunities at LSU to grow and advance the profession and my career. But the other alternative is you get elected and then your role will be different as well. Mm-hmm. So as vice president to Paul Rocker, 
he was mentoring me without knowing necessarily that he was mentoring me because there was so much to learn from his leadership style. Mm-hmm. We are different in uh, approach. Um, uh, in, in some respects, you know, people would say that I'm uh, a little more um, excitable. <laughs> so I learned early and through the process to temper my enthusiasm mm. through patience. And that doesn't mean I'm any less passionate, but I've learned that everything has a strategic opportunity if you're patient enough to take that approach. And so I no longer let my passion get in the way of my purpose, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. I've learned to temper my enthusiasm through watching Paul Rocker's style of leadership. In addition, he was such a great leader with the board. He's established some cultural norms that we have right now on the board of accountability and cohesiveness, that this is a very high-functioning board. Um, We all get along. We all bring different skills and attributes to the table. We have high-level debate and dialogue, but we come back at the end of the day in spite of our disagreements and the conversations that we have as a unified uh, camaraderie. And, and it's, a, it's a special culture that I think Paul helped cultivate that I would like to continue. So challenging, challenge, personal challenges stepping into the role are to make sure that we keep that type of culture on the board so that our outcomes are out of a robust dialogue and conversation. And given the individuals who are on the board, I have no doubt that that will continue. Um, time management is is also something that, as president of APTA, there's a high level of expert expectation of of the role. So going into even the candidacy phase, I had conversations here with my role at LSU as a program director, both with my dean and our faculty, to make sure everyone was okay with me stepping into a larger role at APTA. I, I wanted to have the the support of the leadership and our faculty here at LSU before I even committed to running, and uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, so the responsibilities of the role and the day job were something that before assuming the role, I made sure was was okay. And the reason it's okay is because there are incredible teams on both ends of that equation. Uh, APTA, board, components, and the staff, the 190 members there in Alexandria mm-hmm. that keep uh, keep the ball rolling on a daily basis give me a lot of confidence in the ability to to do what must be done to move the profession forward. And then my faculty, the team here at LSU, who are keeping the ball rolling here on a day-to-day basis and keeping the students on a high trajectory of learning and the research enterprise and the service here at LSU, just making sure that the team here has not skipped a beat, and they're incredibly supportive and uh, excited about actually my opportunities to lead. So the the concerns that you have about roles and responsibilities consuming you 
are lessened when you serve with great people on both sides of the equation. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it it sounds to me like this was, you know, when when you were elected, that this was something that was carefully thought out, and that you really do have a great support system, which every leader needs. You know, you need that great support system. And it also sounds like the board of directors of the APTA kind of sounds like what you described in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, it, where, where you have it's this amazing. debate, but you're still, at the end of the day, you know. You're a team. You're a team. And you, 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 you come down from those conversations and the board makes a decision and the team comes out of the decision supporting the decision and it's it's a great team to be on and um it's as as I've told a few people I think Paul Rocker in his presidency primed the pump mm -hmm. to create a very effective and collaborative environment and this board gets to bleed the line. There's so much to do and so many opportunities for the profession that we're positioned in a, in a beautiful place that the pump has been primed. Now we bleed the line on making sure that the profession is in a better place at the end of our terms than it is when we found it. That's, and that's the challenge of leadership. You yeah. leave a place better than you found it. Of course, I mean that's isn't that's what everybody wants to do, regardless of of whether you're a leader or you're not. Like if you're an individual physical therapist, you're working with a patient, you want to leave that patient better than or client, whatever you want to call. But you want Absolutely. To, you want to leave that person better than when you found them. Yeah. Or when they came to you, you know. Um, Okay, so let's go on. Let's talk about what are what do you think are the biggest challenges within the profession of physical therapy? I I I like to think of challenges as opportunities. It's it's my mindset and I think we have great challenges and and within those great challenges we have great opportunities. And I we're in the middle of the greatest flux in, in our health delivery systems in the United States than we've ever had, throughout my career anyway. And that's an exciting time for us. It creates angst, admittedly, uh, because change is challenging and hard for everybody. But in these periods of angst and change arise some of our best adventurous innovators, and one of the greatest opportunities that I, I think we have as a profession in the next three years is that we take advantage of this rush toward value. As the health delivery systems are changing to flip from a volume-based mm -hmm. delivery system to a value-based system, I think some things that we need to do during this time that are going to stress us in, in many ways is one to leverage data that shows our cost effectiveness. One thing we have to do is have that data. But there's emerging science on our side here. Never before have we had um, the level of access that the public has to us mm -hmm. along with this emerging body of evidence that justifies us as the best first choice. I think of 
Julie Fritz's article that recently came out. Uh, it shows a $4,000 per episode of low back pain savings if physical therapy is out front of that. So if we leverage data that shows our cost effectiveness, that will help us. The second thing that we need to do during this flux in health delivery systems rush towards value is to leverage our legislative climate right now that has a tolerance for top of life license practice. Used to the barrier was a constrained system that had the physician as the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at participating in teams and legislation is pushing us towards team-based care, whether that's in a patient-centered medical home or an affordable, uh, an accountable care organization. Mm-hmm. And we have great opportunities there to develop team-based care and partnerships. And the, the third thing is that as we practice at the top of our license, we begin to show that we're the best practitioner for the right patient at the right time, sure. particularly for movement. And the other thing that excites me is that our bold new vision seems to be coinciding with what's happening external to uh, APTA. And uh, we have an, a, a real opportunity to transform society if we bring our best every day. I, so that's the first greatest opportunity that some people think is a challenge right now is the the fluid environment in health delivery systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, another um, opportunity that we have is is payment. And we are in a challenging time where the big health systems, whether it's public, Medicare, or private payers are looking for ways for practitioners to show how they are cost effective. And we have to begin to measure what matters. Measure, and and the federal government forced us into G-codes because they wanted some kind of data to show a functional outcome for our services. Mm -hmm. We need a better way of measuring what matters than G-codes. And so one of our biggest projects right now is the physical therapy outcomes registry that we're in beta testing with right now. Huge opportunity for us to show data on downstream cost savings of our intervention. And I'm really excited about what this can do for the profession in the long run, Um, but it's just in the beta testing mode right now. It's a big investment for the organization but also has an opportunity to show big dividends mm-hmm. when we can have data to justify policy and advocacy. Absolutely. So, and and, and the, the lawmakers need to see that data, and they need yes. to see it's all about the cost savings, right? Exactly. You, you have to, and show, you have to if, show that we make a difference in reducing costs. That's, that's, I'm, quite honestly, that's one of the biggest things that they want to see. And if you go back to the triple aim of of the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. reducing per capita cost is one of three big initiatives. So we know in our heart of hearts that in the right place along the continuum, if physical therapy is included, that we will save costs. The other parts of the triple aim that we we have great opportunities with are to improve patient experience. Mm-hmm. and to improve health of populations. So I'm excited about our potential here. Um, 
because all three portions of the triple aim are favorable to our profession and what we can bring to that table. Yeah, it's a nice fit. And I think um, if, if you want to talk for just a moment, um, something about the health care reform and the Affordable Care Act, there's an important part of that that involves physical therapy. Um, if, yeah, I think some, some of the things that they're attempting to do through accountable care organizations and patient-centered medical homes is to get the right practitioner in front of the patient at the right time. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the challenges we have as physical therapists is doing business as usual within our four walls where we're comfortable in the clinics in which we provide care or in our home health company uh, with with systems in place that that we're aware of and make us comfortable i think where we have the most opportunity is getting outside of ourselves and showing other healthcare providers what our value to the team is yeah and it's Important. something that we've done here in our residency programs for physical therapists at LSU is forced an interprofessional interplay. We have uh, an orthopedic residency, a wound management residency, and we're starting a neurologic uh, rehab residency. And part of each of these residencies is interprofessional practice. Here in the hospital, we have a level one trauma center. So our orthopedic surgery residents are in treatment rooms with our orthopedic physical therapy residents. That's awesome. And they're learning from each other. And when you create that kind of environment where it's safe and mm-hmm. expected, mm-hmm. they learn what each other brings to the table. So there's no more uh, need to prescribe. There is a need for that teammate who mm-hmm. has that skill set that ultimately their conversations aren't about each other. They're about what the patient needs. Yeah, no, that's, and it's that's it's great. wonderful to watch that great. that uh, happen spontaneously. Yeah, I think that's great. And then you know the the hope is that as these residents go out into the world, they remember what they've learned from each other, and that future uh, clinicians are going to be more likely to collaborate and 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 know what the other person actually does for a living. And and know what quality care does for your patient's outcomes yep. too. When yep. when you have the right teammates engaged, then the communication is seamless. The the patient's needs are met without uh, playing phone tag all day, mm-hmm. and the patients love that their healthcare providers are talking to one another because right. they don't have to translate the message over and over again. Right, and it's all and it, about the patient, right? So it that, become, patient, it becomes, that, pe- that, that patient feels cared for, they feel safe, they feel happy, they know everyone's on the same page, and hopefully that helps with their outcomes. Yeah, it, it certainly helps for their engagement because mm-hmm. when they hear it three times in the same meeting from three different healthcare providers, they begin to think, well, that must be important. So I should take my blood pressure medicine right. and I should make sure I, I control my diabetes because my uh, all three healthcare providers that were with me today made mention of that. Exactly. I think what a great program. Excellent. It, 
it's it's it was a it was actually born out of opportunities that I had here at LSU as a young faculty member to interact with other healthcare providers, both in the acute care setting and in ambulatory care uh, environments. Uh, I as as I don't compare myself to Albert Einstein in any way except this: I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. So I was that young PT over in the orthopedic clinic asking the orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic residents, well, why did you fix it like that? Well, what is the load capacity of this hardware? Why can we not wait bare at this point? Is it because you're worried about that falling apart? Oh, well, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So incredible opportunities to learn here that I wanted to replicate in a residency so that they didn't have to go find that themselves. And and then the the benefit of of that interaction are that the orthopedic surgery residents are learning how good we are at physical examination actually and what great knowledge background knowledge of biomechanics and anatomy that physical therapists have so they aren't afraid to approach the physical therapist with questions about physical exams special tests how did you do that? How did you know that it was the IT band? Oh, wow, that's cool. And and it's a shared learning experience. So hopefully as the orthopedic surgery residents go out and find their their place in life, they are looking around in their communities to find that kind of relationship with their physical therapist. That's the that's the dream is is shared learning and what it does to ultimate practice patterns and practice habits. Yeah, no, it sounds great. And, and you know, we've got a couple of minutes left here, but I wanted to uh, touch on one other point, and that is, you know, you get on, on um, social media and things like that, and you have some people who kind of don't understand the APTA. They're kind of like, what does AP even do for me? What can, you know, why should I be a part of it? you know, it doesn't seem like they're really, doesn't really seem like they're doing anything to help me directly. So what do you say to those people, either within the APTA or perhaps not a member yet in the APTA? I I would say that that kind of um, feeling on the part of non-members or people who've lapsed in their membership is a vulnerability on our part as an association that we need to do better to communicate our our value to them as professionals. And once that value is lived and experienced, then that person is a member member for life because they understand the value. Until they have that experience and understanding then that will always be a challenge. So one of the things that I have have talked about through the candidacy and through my early, my first month as president of the organization is that our communications internally and externally have have much to improve upon. So not just in communicating with others, but bringing, bringing them into the association. So it's a current focus that the new CEO Michael Bowers has but mm-hmm. also staff at APTA and, and the board of directors we recently did a communications audit and what was revealed in the audit 
uh, was what everyone experiences as APTA members is that you're yelling at your members and you're not necessarily receiving in, information back. So we have a long way to go with our internal communications, but also our external communications. We could uh, leverage the data and research that tells our story better, drawing attention to current successes. For instance, I think very few people know that two of five major grants from PCORI, that's Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Initiative of the federal government, were two physical therapists. Um, I would one agree with $14 million that. Dollar grant was uh, on low back pain. Tony Delito oh, got that. that. I knew that and because an, I was at the another next one. I'm glad you knew that. Uh, I knew that. I knew that. I'm they, excited. they mentioned it before, the Rothstein Roundtable. Yes. And, and so the, and the other one was on uh, post-acute care for people post-stroke, which was a, awarded to uh, Pam... Um, <laughs> Pam Duncan at Wake, and so we're going to be studying post-acute care for stroke and physical therapy first in, a, in an episode of low back pain. Twenty-eight million dollars in federal grants to physical therapists. So amazing. That that needs to be shouted from the rooftops totally. for not necessarily what APTA did, but what our innovative and uh, adventurous members are doing to advance the profession. Yeah, and patients patients like to tell their stories too. They're a whole lot better at at tooting our horn than we are, quite mm -hmm, frankly. Mhm. Mm yeah, and and I think we were sort of talking again before we started the interview and you know, we talk about those big grants to to members of APTA, but everybody we are the APTA. I mean, you may be in the leadership role, but every physical therapist who's part of the APTA, if you, you pay your member dues, you are the APTA. And so as a member, you have to go out and you have to tell your patients about um, just this, like what you just said, $28 million to research. You know, tell your patients, tell your friends, tell your family. That's a great way to show the value that the APTA can bring to, to someone's life that's outside of the organization. Agree. Every every encounter as a physical therapist or a physical therapist assistant with a patient or client is a huge opportunity to market the profession. Every encounter matters, and I I have stalked Twitter, and as as those of us on Twitter know, Jerry Durham is a big proponent of customer service, and it's. And it's not just what you bring as your skill set as a physical therapist, but it's did you sell the profession to that consumer because that consumer matters because that consumer is going to tell 10 other consumers or potential consumers about their experience with physical therapy. So that is the way to market the profession. And, and we, every member is the APTA. So when people ask what is APTA doing for X, Y, or Z? The answer is what are individuals doing personally, whether that's day-to-day -day interactions with patients or talking to your civic groups about the profession, uh, looking at potential students to draw into the profession. 
we all are a part of APTA. And one of the things that I would like to do in in my term as president is listen better. Communications are is is a two way street. Mm-hmm. So we can put information out, but if we aren't listening to our constituent groups, we failed half the communication test. And so to establish better mechanisms to gather feedback through multimodal approaches is, is important to me. And I want every physical therapist and physical therapist assistant to want to join the APTA because they feel like they can participate and make a difference for the future of the profession. Yeah, and, and feel like they've been heard. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I that, think you and Michael Bowers are might be the perfect combo because you guys are both saying the same thing. And and part part of it is it's it's listening and and aligning our our components and our resources around a shared vision. This vision is powerful. Um, it's big, and and there are lots of opportunities for everyone to find a way to participate in in moving us towards transforming society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience. I agree 100%. And you can that, do it big or you can do it individually. That's it's, right. It doesn't have to be a big, grand gesture every time. Right. You know, you can talk to someone out, you know, out for dinner. I mean, I've gotten patients from talking to them at a bar. <laughs> you know, yeah. where... I mean, it it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. When someone asks you what you do, sell it. But and, and that doesn't and do mean, you, and that's not a bad word. Saying no, sell it's, it. it's not, not a bad, bad word. word. And and it's, and I've said this said this with Mike Eisenhart, and you know, selling your profession and selling what you do and treating people ethically and well and with care and compassion and empathy are not mutually exclusive. Oh. Yeah. No, and and once a patient has a good experience with physical therapy, those are the people you meet either on an airplane or or sitting at the bar. When you say the word physical therapy, their face lights up mm-hmm. because they had a good experience. And you can also tell when someone's had a bad experience with yeah. their physical therapy. And then you can ask them, well, what what happened? Tell me about it. That's okay. Yes, you can engage yes. someone, and believe me, they'll tell you. Yeah. People have yeah. sometimes people have no I feel like people have no problem screaming to the rooftops of the bad experiences. Right. And yet right. when they have really great experiences that might not be as public and out there. You know, like when you look at reviews online, and you're like, mm-hmm. man, all these people really hated this product. But a lot of times it's the people who have bad experiences who review the product. Yeah, they are the ones who are most likely to proclaim it publicly. Exactly. And so I think as, as physical therapists, it behooves us, each and every one of us, if your patient, hopefully your patient's having a good experience, tell them to talk about it. You know, there are a lot of different avenues to, to do that. So I think that's also important. We even have one on Move Forward PT, our consumer portal there are opportunities for patients to tell their positive physical therapy experiences. So anyone who's listening today, if you have that very satisfied patient that wants to tell their story, uh, you can get in touch with us on moveforward.com and we can uh, do a, a similar interview with your happy patient. 
Awesome. Well, Sharon, thank you so much. I, I mean, I have a lot of other questions to ask, but I, I mean, I'm sure you're a busy lady. Um, I have lots of other questions to ask, but perhaps we'll save them for another time. But this was great. And I think, you know, you really gave people an insight into who you are and what your thoughts are and what your goals are. And, and I thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for the invitation. And I look forward to continued dialogue, robust conversation and listening. Oh, so really yes. appreciate it. My pleasure. And everyone, thanks so much for uh, tuning in today. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.